Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Food 360, the podcast that serves up some serious food for thought. I'm your host, Mark Murphy. Today, it's my pleasure to have my friend, fellow chef, and TV personality, David Rose. Welcome to Food 360. Hey, my pleasure. Let's do it. David, I got to tell you, this is this is a real a real pleasure to see you. I mean, I wish I could give you a big hug, but I can't because you know we're on virtual we're on, hug. We're, we're a virtual hug. But I want to <laughs> I want to just in my mind go back to uh, a time when I was climbing up this hiking up this mountain in Arizona, yes. and I'm walking and climbing and crawling and whatever I'm doing, and all of a sudden I hear, "Hey." Mark Murphy! And I look up, and there you are, and you were hiking with other people that I knew, and I, mm-hmm. I feel like I had, I don't know if I had met you before, or if it was like my, my brain just sort of froze, but I'm like, what is going on? Who, who is this guy? And he, it was like, it was like, <laughs> after you passed, I was like, oh yeah, that's David, and, and then we hung out all weekend at uh, yeah. Bo Mac, he does this great event, and, and I'm excited to hopefully get back and do that again someday. I actually talked to Bo Thanks the other day, he's doing well at the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. What we, it was Good. it was such a beautiful weekend and I got to tell you this those moments I mean I want to just hop maybe right into talking about food festivals because I think that's when yeah. that's where you you and I sort of came together and met and and, yeah. and our friendship bonded there and it was it was a beautiful moment I don't know if you remember it, really it the same was, way man. Of course it's like you know the the heavens separated the sun shined down on us, and it was a glorious moment. That was our first time meeting, you know, represented by the same management company. And, man, you know, from the moment we said go and met on that mountaintop, man, he'd just been an amazing person, awesome dude, uh, great drinking buddy. We had an amazing time, awesome time that week. And uh, it's just so much fun, a much simpler time, as you said before. And I'm just praying and hoping every day that we can get back to some semblance of that sense of community through food, through drinks. We had a couple of drinks that week as well. A little more than a couple. Did we? And just having having fun, man. You know, to me, that's what really makes it the most fun to me is the sense of community, meeting new friends, reuniting with old friends, and just um, spreading love and positivity through food. And nothing like a food and wine festival can do that. And it just breaks my heart, you know, uh, all these food and wine festivals for the foreseeable future look to be 
you know, kind of tabled and canceled as of now. So hopefully we can get back uh, to those times because I enjoyed them and looking forward to making new memories, especially with you, my friend. I, to- I totally get it. And, and you know, Lee Schrager's actually, he's t- sort of taken this, uh, he's still doing things and raising money and doing things for the food festivals oh. sort of virtually. I'm doing a, a, a dinner next week where I cook and 300 people are Zooming in and we're, we're working together. And I mean, look, I love the effort and I love these things are happening, but it's like one of those things that I, I want to uh, I want to just be like, hey, I want to, uh, you know, I don't want to do that the rest of my life. I want to do it the way we used to yeah. do it, where I can actually see you and and, exactly. and and meet the public that loves us on on the shows. Yes. but let, let, let's let's get to your uh, to your background first of all. So you yeah, come from yeah. a large a large Jamaican family that grew up in New Jersey. Now, and and, yes. and if I know this correctly, you're the you're the baby, right? I'm the youngest of eight. Yes, I'm the baby. I see. So, what was that like? Was there, what was it like growing up as 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 uh, with eight kids in the family? I mean, was there was and you were the youngest one. How'd you get any food? I mean, you had to like fight for it or what? Man, it, it was rough, man. Pretty much, you know, it was a situation where uh, when mom says dinner's ready, you better have your butt down there asap because with eight kids, food ain't lasting long. So she, you know, kind of portion out our separate little, you know, portions of food according to size, appetite, age. Uh, but whoever got there early, you know, you might get that extra piece of chicken, uh, that extra piece of steak, you know, transfer somebody's food from their plate to your plate. So you got to get in where you fit in. So and were, you first, the- <laughs> were you first in line? I could see you being like, I was, I was always first in line, man. I wasn't a big appetite. Always. <laughs> that is awesome. So, but, and, and, and so, but your mother and your father were both chefs. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Mom and dad were both chefs. Uh, mom was a chef at a nursing home in New Jersey. And dad was also an executive chef at a villa for nuns. So uh, first things first, you know, Caribbeans, Jamaicans, as with anywhere, we have an insatiable appetite for food, an insatiable appetite for alcohol, white women especially, and just the, the culture itself. I've always loved food, but amplify that by my parents both being chefs and kind of bringing me to work with them at a very young age, just kind of seeing from, you know, the raw product, the eggs, the milk, the bread, the bacon, and making these breakfasts, these lunches, these dinners from, from nothing, the creative process and the admiration they got from the people they cook for, just kind of planted a seed at a young age. I was like, you know what? This is pretty cool. I'm a Pisces, so I'm a creative type to begin with. And um, it just kind of planted at that young age, that love for food and the love that translates through food. So what, what, I got to go back to this. I mean, I, I understand your mom was cooking in a nursing home. I can imagine what, yeah. I can sort of imagine what that's like. I never cooked in a uh-huh. nursing home, but now a yeah. villa for nuns. What did the nuns yes. eat? What were the nuns eating? And uh-huh. why was your dad cooking for nuns? Couldn't the nuns cook for themselves? I don't understand it. Hey, you, you know what it is? You know, these villas have like, you know, upwards of, you know, three to 500 people that live there on site and, you know, at the church, the cathedral, and they're doing their nun thing. You know, they're praying, they're organizing fundraisers, they're hosting, you know, different nuns from overseas, Italy, France, Europe. So the last thing they have time for is to cook. So that's where dad comes in. He had his team and, you know, coming from Jamaica in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, you kind of had to get in where you fit in. And both parents always loved to cook, but they actually came to America as immigrants from Jamaica and just kind of worked their way up the ladder. And, you know, cooking and chef positions 
um, those are what kind of spoke out to them first, and that's where they kind of landed. That's that's amazing. I, I love the the immigrant stories and, and how yeah. people get themselves into a country like this and get there. And, of course, and. Um, it was it was really a, a it's really a, a beautiful thing and it happens yeah. through food which is what we obviously yes. do and love and love to do yeah. and I, I think that's fantastic exactly. um, you uh, so you I mean besides the love of cooking you got from your parents uh-huh. but what did you see the difference in like that type of cooking and what you do now I mean is there I mean you obviously you said at a young age you moved down to Atlanta obviously that must mm-hmm. have influenced you uh, in a lot, a lot of ways but your parents I mean how, how did all this sort of come together your, your, the, synergy, your um, the synergy yeah the love guys. man um, I actually born and raised in New Jersey out of eight kids the only one born and raised in New Jersey so it just kind of dates back to these huge Thanksgivings these huge Christmases where my mom is also one of 13 and their kids have you know five six kids and my dad is one of 10 and that whole tri-state area as you know is one big diverse melting pot and we'd have you know these Thanksgiving Christmases and Fourth of July celebrations where it's upwards of 100 to 150 people and it's huge potlucks where you have jerk chicken, you have curry goat, you have macaroni, you have five different kinds of rice and peas, you have baked chicken, um, you have just so much plentiful food, fried plantains where, you know, um, we came to America, my family, and they always had that inherent love and educated themselves Um, via grandparents of that food and also kind of, you know, interjected, you know, American classic foods. So you have that. And then the tri-state area where I was born in Inglewood, raised in Teaneck, and also went to school in Tenafly, where I've had friends from all walks of life, uh, where I remember at nine years old having Korean pancakes for the first time, um, having latkes and gefilte fish, having foie gras pate, uh, where a good friend of mine, his mom was Italian and his dad was French, and they ran a bakery. So eating this foie gras, the pate, the gnocchi, at 10, 11 years old, just tasting these flavors that obviously aren't a dish and art um, um, from Jamaica or indicative of Jamaican food, but tasting these very diverse international foods I didn't know what the hell I was tasting, but I knew I loved it. I knew it tasted good. I never knew at 10 that fat and goose liver could be so delicious. So just that general curiosity of food and just the tri-state area. Fast forward 21 years, 21 years old, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia at that point. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what I want to do. At that point, I've been an exercise uh, science major and a physical therapist. Uh, trainer, rather, uh, where a physical therapist and um, training has always been a huge love of me as far as fitness. And I've been a bartender. I've been a server. I've been a bar back. I've worked every position in front of the house up until that moment. And I was trying to figure out my next move in life. I was sitting down at 21 and saw a commercial. I can remember it as clearly as yesterday. It said, Le Cordon Bleu, realize your culinary dreams. I don't know what it was, Mark, at that very moment. Something spoke to me and said, go to the campus, check it out, see what you think. And I was blown away by the courses, by the facility, by the kitchen, by the staff. And right there and then at 21, standing in that Le Cordon Bleu campus, I knew that I wanted to be a chef. And then from there, I enrolled in the program, graduated top of my class, never been a scholar. Nobody ever called me a scholar ever, but graduated top of my class summa cum laude, straight A's, and even though it's school per se, um, I didn't look at it as school. 
I looked at it as every day crafting and honing my skills for my purpose, for my career as a chef, uh, where I learned proficiencies in ice carving, um, international cooking, uh, sushi, baking, garde manger, wine and beer knowledge. And just from there, it kind of took off, man. I just knew at that moment that being a chef in culinary was the life for me. That is, that's a beautiful story. And it's so funny because you, you, you talk about the beginning of your life, the influence from your yeah. parents, both being chefs, all the friendships you have, which is another beautiful story of immigrants coming to this country. And that a kid who was born oh, yeah. in New Jersey, whose parents were from Jamaica, was hanging out with the people from France and Italy that had a bake shop. <laughs> I mean, that to me is just a beautiful painting, right? But, yeah. but, but the funniest thing is, is this is how, you know, all of a sudden, your whole childhood, basically, from birth, you were basically yeah. trained to be a chef. And not until you're 21, yeah. you go, oh, wait, this is a job. I can do this, and I'm going to go to a school for it and kick some butt at exactly. school. That, is, that exactly. is a beautiful, beautiful thing. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. It's The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that! Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. I do want to get a little bit of information from you because right before you, we all got locked up because of this pandemic, I, your Instagram was blowing up all over Europe. You, you, you took a trip of a, of a lifetime, it looked like to me. You were in Italy. Oh, man. You went traveling and, and the pictures you were posting, I almost had to stop uh -huh. following you because I was getting hungry. <laughs> Uh, but well, watching it, watching that going down, I was like, so was yeah. that, how many is, was that your first trip to Italy or what, what was the, what was that? What is the experience from you having gone to culinary school, but all, and then just boom, being there, man, um, prior to that, my only experience of Europe in general was 12 years old in England. And prior to that, never been before then. And that's all I really knew. So, you know, I was like, you know what? Let me go to Europe. Let me check it out. I was celebrating my 38th birthday. So uh, me and my girlfriend, we went to uh, Europe on this cruise, MSC cruise, and we hit up Italy, Barcelona, Spain, uh, different ports of Italy, actually, Sipitacia. We went to uh, Sicily. Um, we went to, I believe, I'm forgetting the other one, but also we've been to uh, Spain. We went to Malta and then wrapped back around to Spain as well. So seven different ports. And for me, you know, you read about these things in books, watch it on TV, uh, and you just learn about the history. But to actually be in Spain, have authentic, authentic paella, to be in Italy, you know, and have authentic pasta. I can really say that going on this little Euro trip, it ruined forever. 
domestic pasta and domestic paella because once you have the best, the authentic, it's, it's really hard for the rest. So for me, it really tickled my, my culinary uh, fancy bone, so to speak, where I'm able to actually be there, the birthplace of these huge, just, you know, dynamic, powerful foods um, that I've only had prior experience having it here in America, where I've had some really, really good pasta here in the States, really, really good paella, but till you have it in the birthplace of those cuisines and those dishes, you ain't doing it justice. Well, it's also, it's also interesting that in the mind, uh, you know, you could eat the exact same bowl of pasta sitting in yeah. Ventimiglia overlooking the Mediterranean. You, you could eat the same yeah. pasta in the basement of a, of a building in New York City, and it could be the exact same ingredients, the exact same dish, but one yeah. is going to taste better. Let's put it that way, right? Because you, you got that whole thing. So I'm actually thinking we should call, we should call some of the people that represent us because we, we uh, obviously we, we work with the same management company and we get represented by yeah. the same people because now obviously the the food world has taken a little bit of a of a turn uh and i want to get into your ambassadorship with nissan because i think that's a beautiful yeah. and, and, and an interesting thing but i think that after this we should start writing a little show because i know you're a motorcycle guy and i'm a motorcycle guy yeah. and we should start at the top of italy we'll start all the way up north right at the border i speak italian we're going to do a show Perfect. you and i riding our motorcycles all the way to the to the bottom of the boot and we can eat the whole way what do you think uh, you're in? Matt, you, uh, you had me at motorcycles. Yeah, you had I, me at motorcycles. I, I'm already in. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be a, a fun it. time. We could just bop around Europe and and eat and drink. I I love the idea. So so uh, after you were, I mean, so obviously your professional career, you went and you did you yeah. work in a hotel for a little while? I, I've done everything. My actually my first job, I remember it specifically. I was 13 years old and I worked as a barback and busboy at the Radisson Hotel on Route 4 in Englewood, New Jersey, 13 years old. And I've just always been in hospitality since then. Right. And and you, have you been back to visit to your, your old first job? <laughs> Man, they, they, actually, they actually knocked it down and made like two, three different hotels since then. So Okay, that was, like that to, was a while yeah. ago. But then you got on, <laughs> on you got onto the Food Network, and, and you, you, yes. you were in season 13 of, of uh, Next Food Network Star. Was that the one? Yes, I was. Food what was, Network what Star, was that? How did you Star. get there? What was that like? I've never, I mean, I've competed on, on Food Network, but I didn't, I didn't compete uh, to, to, to get on the food. I was just, I, I, yeah. I see that show and I'm always like jaw dropping. Like, Where do you find all these characters? Where do they Dude, find it was, you? It was crazy. It was crazy, man. Um, well, as far as my foray into meeting Food Network, um, you mentioned motorcycles. Prior to that, you know, I did a national, international campaign with Harley Davidson back in 2010, to 13, where they were doing a really cool campaign that was called Iron Elite, and they were highlighting, you know, African-American riders from all over the world that ride Harley. So they made a really cool patch with me on it, a couple videos. So I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, I did a lot of traveling with that. I was like, I would love to combine my love and passion of motorcycles, which is awesome in itself, and my love and passion of food and just bring it together. Uh, so I started kind of going by the biker chef. And from there, I was like, you know what? I don't know anything about food. I don't know anything about TV, but I'm going to take a business loan out and I'm going to start capturing my own content. So I started hiring videographers and producers and just traveling the country, talking to bikers who cook and chefs who were bikers. And the initial concept title was Bikes and Bikes, Motorcycles and Food. And I just started to put my own content on YouTube, Vimo. Instagram, Facebook, and fast forward a couple of years, two years doing that, not knowing what I was doing, 
except shooting some cool footage. I got the attention of a couple execs over at Food Network. Uh, they invited me in, started talking about some potential concepts that we could work on. And then from there, like, you know what? We love you. We like your style, what you're doing. You're different, you're unique, but our viewership does not know who you are. Would you mind doing Food Network Star? And I'm not going to lie, Mark, I didn't jump right on it because, you know, <laughs> reality TV is reality, you know, TV. So I was like, you know what? This is something I want to do. I'm serious about doing this. So let's do it. And then from there, the rest is history, man. Well, I got two things out of that. One, you're obviously a really hardworking guy and you and you love yeah. to make create opportunities for yourself because it sounds like that's what you did. And After. the other thing that I got out of that was, I guess if we do that trip through Italy, we'll be on Harley's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm no longer contractually obligated to Harley, so hey. Hey, you, you know, I got to tell you, Italians love Harleys. They see you driving down the street uh -huh. in a Harley. I mean, I have a BMW myself, but, you know, I, 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 uh -huh. I can I can get behind any one of those things. And and I, so I will make <laughs> I will make one request, though. No vests. I'm too big for a vest. Yeah, I can't. I, well, you know, I have one of those, too. But that's just for bopping around New York City. Let's put it that way. Um, it's a 350. It does go fast. I'll tell you. But it is oh, it, it is it is strange because when you're sitting on a Vespa doing 80 miles an uh -huh. hour, it's like you're sitting on a chair on the highway and it's just not very comfortable <laughs> it doesn't sound very comfortable dude. not at all i'll let so, you have that so interesting that so this obviously this new world of chefs you 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 represent nissan this this one truck titan it's mm -hmm. a very cool commercial yes. where you're doing this how, how did you get that gig that is beautiful i'm gonna have to talk to scott about that <laughs> man i've been with nissan for about what two years now and the way it came about was uh chef cory bar he was actually on the same season of food network star as i was and uh, he just started his relationship out and they were kind of introducing this new concept vehicle it was called the smoking titan and pretty much you know what it is it is a super cool super decked out Titan truck where it's been outfitted with grills, a smoker, uh, a full service kitchen on there. It has burners, it has sinks, and they were trying to kick it off with this really cool event um, called um, uh, the Smoking Titan Cookoff, I believe, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, in the mountains. And essentially what it is, it was pairing Nissan employees against, you know, different media people. And it was a barbecue competition. So I came on as a judge from there. And you know me, I'm a people person, man. We started talking, we started drinking, we started eating. They're like, you know what, David? We want you as a part of this campaign. And then from there, we did some really cool events uh, with the Smoking Titan where we drive around with it, we cook on it, we grill on it at different outdoor events, different media events. Um, doing different types of social media and video content, and it's a great relationship. So very organic, which a lot of my opportunities are, um, but I'm all about networking. It's all about relationships. It's it, all about connections. It's it, all about that. It is, and I and I love. I mean, obviously, everybody. You can just tell from this conversation, you're a people person, and you can see what you do, what you do, and how you accept people and get them into your lives. But the organic yeah. things like that are much more sort of, uh, you know, they're big. I mean, I and I've had a few opportunities yeah. like that where somebody hears me talk on an interview about something, a product I like, and exactly. all of a sudden they call you like, "Oh, yeah. you actually use that." It's like, you know, this is. <laughs> exactly. It's not. It's like real. It's like good advertising in a certain sense because yeah. you're getting people that actually use 
use those products to, to really do that. Exactly. So why did you, so you, when you, you said you moved to Atlanta earlier and, and you went mm-hmm. to the Cordon Bleu down there, which is obviously, but, and, and you stayed down there and your whole family's in New yeah. Jersey, right? You got, you got what, about 650 relatives in New Jersey and, and you're down in Atlanta. <laughs> More are you, are you just trying to, are you just trying to skip on the family reunions or you, why did you stay no. in Atlanta? You know, what's funny. Um, what actually brought me down here was my cousin, he actually lived down here first. He was the first one out of our entire family, came down, came to Morehouse. And then from there, my older brother came down. And I came down in 03, February of 03, 2003. And I came down for my 21st birthday and I was just blown away. Imagine single 21-year-old David, eyes wide open, the <laughs> bars, the clubs, the restaurants, the women, and I just had a, a blast, man. This is back in Atlanta. It kind of resembled Bourbon Street in New Orleans where you could walk around and just kind of, you know, just bounce from bar to club. And I was just smitten, you know? I was over New Jersey. I was like, you know what? I'm coming back. My cousin, my brother didn't believe me. Fast forward to June of the same year. I packed my little cherry red 98 Mustang up, brought all my stuff down and haven't left since. Uh, since then, sister came down, brother came down, cousins came down. So it's like we're building a second New Jersey right now <laughs> down in Atlanta. Mom and dad are here also. And uh, oh, really? we love it, man. Yeah. Mom and dad's down and they've been down here for about four years. Uh, they retired and moved down to Florida. And they're like, you know what? We miss the kids. We miss David. Let's move up to Atlanta and been here for the last four years. But slowly but surely, family keeps coming on down. So it's it's a good portion, about 50 people strong right now. Now in Atlanta. Wow, you like started the migration. That's that you you we were started the you migration. Were a big a big push to get everybody down there. Well, next time I'm in Atlanta, I'll, I'll, be, so. I'll be definitely coming to your house. I'm gonna come by and I want to eat some of that good food you're making. Let's do it. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights. Speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. So you said you were a trainer. Physical fitness is something that obviously is something that's that's very. Uh, uh, and if anybody's well, ever, something. obviously, this is a podcast. <laughs> you can't see him, but let, tell me, tell me. I mean, you stay very fit, but you, are you buying the shirt smaller to look bigger, or like like Robert Irvine? No. Or are you buying the fit? Because because you know that that's that that's the way I see this. Is like if you buy the shirt oh, smaller, man. you look bigger. But you're a big guy and you stay really healthy. And and I think, but that goes into some conversation. Not you know, not just the funny part. 
part of it, but uh, yeah. is is you know food and health. I mean, those are those things are directly related. The whole yeah. the whole thing you can't yeah. trust a skinny chef is is out the window now. You got to trust no. chefs that know how to fo- feed feed you and feed you properly. Yeah. And I think that is something exactly. that that you are obviously very very uh, you know attuned to. Even though you do want to have your foie gras every once in a while. Oh, of course, man. I really think it's about just moderation and just kind of eating for your body type as opposed to omitting carbs or omitting protein or fats. It's all about moderation, man. Anything of too much is not good for you. And actually, I don't know if you noticed or not, I'm actually slimming down during quarantine where I've been kind of watching the, watching the diet, uh, watching the intake, and just kind of wanting to get more defined. So I've actually went down from 247 to right now I'm sitting at like 232, 231. Uh, I feel great, you know, and um, I'm more defined, so I like that aesthetic, and I feel healthier. Um, So it's all about just kind of doing what works for you, Um, not looking at a magazine on the internet and just kind of click, copy, and pasting what's on there, but experimenting, but also, you know, not going too far left where you kind of have a, a robust appetite where you're eating pasta and fried chicken and, you know, pizzas and all that. And like, you know what? This is on the Monday on Friday, all salad and fruit. That's going to set you up for what we call an okey-doke and you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. So just, you know, gradually introducing just healthier lifestyle where as opposed to, you know, the five to six slices of pizza – Maybe just one or two. Well, it's all about (laughs) moderation. You're absolutely right. So when you're going to go have the paella, but that's the thing in Europe, I feel like you you, you eat at the mealtimes and you're eating much better food and it just feels, it it, it feels healthier. Well, let's talk about cooking during quarantine time because I got to say, I'm living in a house with, there's six of us and we've been here for about two Mm -hmm. months and I'm basically, I feel like I work in a restaurant with a six top every night. (laughs) And... But for York, <laughs> but it's actually it's 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 sort of um, you know it's what I love to do anyway. So I feel like I'm yes. very lucky because I I feel like I'm not bored. I'm planning meals. I'm doing things, and 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 yeah. it's 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 fun. Cooking's fun. Let's not you know we we very love fun. doing it. We we love I creating love things. And uh, then the challenges. So what is what's it been like for you cooking in quarantine? Obviously, cooking for yourself and your body and making yourself feel better is important. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's obviously you know you can see that. But I uh, you know I I actually as well uh, during quarantine have lost a little bit of weight because I'm just I feel like I'm Look eating good. I'm eating trying to eat healthy and 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 you know keeping myself busy. But what's it been like for you cooking actually? What have you been making? Uh, first off, I do see that new vein right there in your arm. So so kudos to you. You on that, dude. I definitely see the progression. But man, I'm just like you. You know, uh, me and my siblings and my parents, we all live about in a 10 mile radius. So heaven forbid I post something on Instagram or Facebook. I'll know within two to three minutes of that post. When can I come over? That looked good. What is that? So when will you be over at our house with the food? So, you know, whatever I make is not just for me. It's definitely for them also. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big person. Uh, for always looking and finding the silver lining in any situation. So as crazy and as messed up and as off kilter what we're going on right now, I, I definitely try to make it a positive. And what I've been doing is staying really busy with different recipe creations, um, trying new recipes, um, doing different variations. And just I, I'm a creator. I love creating. And it's really allowed me to even fall deeper in love with food, uh, getting super creative 
and just trying new things out where I might not be able to, you know, touch hands and be out there as food and wine events or be on, you know, GMA or Today Show or you on Food Network. We're able to kind of, you know, be there with people. But through social media, through the Instagram lives, through the Facebook, through the stories, I'm still able to get that engagement and, you know, share that excitement and positivity through food. Um, so I'm cooking four or five meals a day over here and I'm loving it. As you know, you said before, the kitchen really is my, my asylum. It's my happy place where I might not be able to control what's in Minnesota, New York, New Jersey, or even Atlanta, Georgia. But what happens in my kitchen is something I create with these two things right here, these two hands. And I love it. And it gives me a sense of peace, calm, and tranquility and good-ass food. So there I, is, I can't there complain. Is something, there is something to cooking and just the, the yeah. putting on some tunes and relaxing and, and, and just getting exactly. involved in it. And I, I find, and, and I'm sure that it must be, uh, I mean, my classical French training, I worked in Paris, I worked in all these mm -hmm. different places and fancy restaurants yeah. and stuff, but it must be funny. Do your parents who were then obviously cooking for 300 nuns or yeah. a lot of people in the homes, yeah. <laughs> and then you went to cooking school, you went to cooking school where they probably taught you to cut yeah. all the carrots exactly the same size, like little soldiers, right? Yeah. Your parents, I mean, I, and I have friends of mine that some, sometimes when I'm just like down in the kitchen, like I'm like doing things like that, people walk by the kitchen uh -huh. and they're like, What's wrong with this guy? Why is he making every carrot the exact same size look the same? Like, that's not what carrot. And, and do you find yourself sometimes you're like, oh, okay, I got to bring it back a bit because they'd go a little too French and too too honed in like that. It's kind of funny. It, it, it is, man. It's crazy because even now, even though I'm cooking for myself and my family, and you know, I still focus on presentation, man. Yeah. Like, you know, I have that drilled in my psyche and my training where, you know, people, you eat with your eyes first. The, fir the food, first and foremost, has to taste good, but it also has to look appetizing and be beautifully plated. So I find myself making breakfast, you know, a couple of poached eggs, some wheat toast and fruit. And I'm like putting garnishes and like, little, you know, <laughs> mint leaves and like little, a mousse bouche on the side of like quinoa. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing? This is, this is just for me. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade I wouldn't trade it for the world because, you know, that's the the the, the pride you have as a classically trained chef, or even removing, you know, culinary school, just, you know, being in a great restaurant, having great mentors, where some of the greatest chefs I know have just kind of cut their teeth in restaurants. It's just that sense of refinement, uh, that sense of, you know, quality presentation and just having that pride in the plated dish, whether it's for you, or a hundred people, and, and you you see it in a lot of chefs right now. They're cooking at home just for their families, but they're yeah. they're, they're just putting stuff up. I don't know. Uh, you know one yeah. of my favorite, two people that I've been really love following right now have been uh -huh. uh, Danielle Boulud and Eric Repair, who are obviously nice. very classically French trained chefs. But watching uh -huh. them cook for their families has always been sort of <laughs> it's always it's it's so interesting. Who who have you been liking yeah. on Instagram recently that you've been watching? Um, man, honestly, I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you right now. Uh, you're one of my favorites because like you're. you're like me you're a lively engaging fun loving dude and that comes through on your food so you're one of them uh scott scott conan's a good dude uh like watching his stuff and um carla hall another person just super engaging super over the top super great personality some great uh, so you three i've been watching a lot man you guys are awesome some great Do people some great people and let's you know i yeah. want to just finish up on a on a, on, a, on another uh, one of the, the other things that i know that you're very uh, enthusiastic about and i've yeah I've dibbled and dabbled in it, and I'm trying to get into uh -huh. it a little bit more. But cigars, <laughs> this is something that yes. you're passionate about. And I love a good yes. cigar. And 
And and actually, at one time, I, I asked my doctor. This mm-hmm. is a while ago, and he knows my lifestyle. Yeah. It's I'm always going 110 miles an hour, trying to keep do a lot of things. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you know, so what do you think about cigars? And he goes, for you, Mark, if you can actually sit down and stop for like the 20 <laughs> minutes or half hour it takes to smoke a cigar, the negative benefits of smoking are going to be positive by you actually just chilling for a minute. So I, I've been trying exactly. to do that once or twice a week. I'm going out and uh-huh. sitting in a chair, reading a book and smoking a cigar, having a cup of tea. And, and you're, Man, you're, you're into those too, right? Yeah, I'm usually into those man is everything you know everything in moderation you'll be okay i'm not going to smoke you know five cigars back to back to back monday through sunday uh, although sometimes i'd like to but you know um, i'll do maybe one or two every week and just to me the the stress is far deadlier than the actual cigar itself you know stress is a killer man so if i can take that 30 to 40 minutes an hour sometimes get me a nice you know bourbon a nice scotch glass of red wine and just sit on my patio and just kind of watch the stillness of life and enjoy that cigar, it'll save me from a lot more stuff or something might be pressing on my mind in my life where I can just sit down, smoke that cigar. Same thing with motorcycles. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than a uh, a therapist. (laughs) And, you know, it's something that I, I actually enjoy doing. So with cigars, it dates back to, I think I was 20, 21. Again, that same trip. Coming down to Atlanta, we went to Miami, and I think that's where my love of cigars was kind of born. Me and my cousin, uh, just enjoying my 21st in Miami on the Strip, smoking some Cubans. And ever since then, I've always kind of looked at cigar as the fourth course. You have your appetizer, your salad, you have your entree, you have your dessert, and then you have your cigar to where you you know you've had now your meal, you're letting the meal digest, You're having a nice aperitif, grappa, sambuca, campari on ice, whatever you have, and just enjoying that cigar and allowing the meal to just do its thing and just relaxing and taking the whole experience down. So much so that I brought cigars now into my culinary point of view and career where I started, uh, I think about eight years ago, an event I branded as TLC. TLC stands for Tastings, Libations, and Cigars where I've paired with different alcohol companies, different cigar companies, and different food companies, where the cigar is the star and the highlighting platform of the entire meal. So you have the cigar, and from there, I break down the flavor composition of the cigar and then base every single course of the food on that. I did that for a while and actually, you know, became friends with the folks over at Davidoff and Camacho and going on now four years I do events for them and uh, video and social media content uh, for Camacho, where I'm now an international brand ambassador for them and do the same thing I've been doing for years now on a bigger international level. And it's, again, speaking back to those organic relationships, if you have love for something and are doing it for pure reasons out of just money, of course you need money. That's obvious. But the passion and true love for it, uh, eventually you'll, you know, gain the recognition and attention of, you know, the right people and the right relationships are formed because it's something I truly enjoy doing and it's organic when I talk about it or do something. So you can say I like cigars a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. No, you definitely, you, you painted that picture for me. But, you know, it is, it is true that it, it is true that you have a, you know, I, I think the world's like that. If you find something you're passionate yeah. about, you love it, it's going to give it back to yeah. you. It's like it's like good karma. Exactly. And I, I found that thing, where I found it with cooking, where I just fell in love with cooking. Yes. I, I didn't make much yeah. money when I started cooking. But then as the years go on, you just do it for the love of it. Then the money comes exactly. later. 
And then it's sort of the same thing. You're talking about like organic relationships with different companies or different products or different different venues. Yeah. And, that. and I, I love I love your your sort of glass half full look on life. And I think there, there yeah. should be more people like like you out there in the world and, and looking at the world that way because it is uh, you know we should all be trying to have fun while we're going we're going through this that are spending our yeah. time here on this planet. So it's been, exactly. it's been great. But listen, man, I'm so happy that I finally got to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, all the success in the world. I don't have to wish that on you because you're doing a fine job of it on your own. <laughs> and uh, listen, I'd love to maybe we could do one of those cigar dinners together one day when things open up. I got a place downtown in Tribeca in New York. We could do a little mm-hmm. cigar dinner there or... Hell, maybe I'll get on my motorcycle, come down and meet you down there, and we'll do it there. Man, I would absolutely love that. And thank you so much for having on me, man. I have me on the show. I really appreciate it. I know it's been a while since I've seen you, I think, Greenwich. But even though, you know, it's virtual, it's great to see your smiling face and be talking to you. And um, cigars, motorcycles, all of that, I'm down for the trip in Italy where we're riding. I'm down for the cigar <laughs> dinner in Tribeca. It's, um, let's do it, man. Wait, let's it, do it. I, I didn't I, realize before I started looking into you and really, like, I mean, I knew you and this and that, but, you know, we have a lot more yeah. in common than I thought. Now we got cigars, yeah. we got motorcycles. This is this is great. Another another friendship uh, <laughs> flourishing. This is what's happening here. Yes. And anyway, thanks so much for being here, brother. <laughs> My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council.